If I could sum up everything I've learned from battling depression and anxiety for years, it would boil down to one thing. You are not alone. You see, so many of us are tormented by the insane idea that we're separate, disconnected beings, suffering all by our little lonesome selves. And I say this from experience. Then I began to open up and share my story. And voila, people showed up to tell me they were struggling too, or even more inspiring, that they had once struggled and since triumphed over their struggle. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, that's why it's important to open up and share your story. Which is why I'm proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is here to help you. They offer licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your own convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. From there, you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can also request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. So don't wait. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month today at betterhelp.com ddbn. That's betterhelp.com ddbn. On the surface, it may seem like PTSD and complex PTSD are none too dissimilar. They both come as a result of something deeply traumatic. They cause flashbacks, nightmares, and insomnia. And they can make people live in fear, even when they are safe. But at the heart of CPTSD, what causes it, how it manifests internally, the lifelong effects, including medically, and its ability to reshape a person's entire outlook on life, is what makes it considerably different. I'm your host, JD. This is What's Your Story.
Let's be honest, it's awful to see someone you love suffer. You see how anxious and triggered they can get, their mood swings, you see how troubled they become in intimate relationships, and you say to yourself, I wish I knew how to help someone with complex PTSD. Complex PTSD, or CPTSD, is the result of surviving repeated abuse. Sadly, it often occurs at the hands of those who are supposed to love and care for us the most. Often, the signs of complex trauma are overlooked. The survivors may struggle with how to explain complex PTSD to their loved ones, and it's this fact that makes recovery from CPTSD so challenging. Complex PTSD comes in response to chronic traumatization over the course of months or, more often, years. This can include emotional, physical, and or sexual abuses, domestic violence, living in a war zone, being held captive, human trafficking, and other organized rings of abuse, and so much more. While there are exceptional circumstances where adults develop CPTSD, it is most often seen in those whose trauma occurred in childhood. For those who are older, being at the complete control of another person, which are often unable to meet their most basic needs without them, coupled with no foreseeable end in sight, can break down the psyche, the survivor's sense of self, and affect them on this deeper level. For those who go through this as children, because the brain is still developing and they're just beginning to learn who they are as an individual, understand the world around them, and build their first relationships, severe trauma interrupts the entire course of their psychological and neurologic development. When an adult experiences a traumatic event, they have more tools to understand what is happening to them. Their place is a victim of that trauma and know they should seek support even if they don't want to. Children, on the other hand, don't possess most of these skills or even the ability to separate themselves from another's unconscionable actions. The psychological and developmental implications of that become complexly woven and spun into who that child believes themselves to be, creating this messy web of core beliefs much harder to untangle than the flashbacks, nightmares, and other post-traumatic symptoms that come later. My beginning was kind of late, but the understand, like actually realizing where things started is a different story because I grew, I grew up in a time when things like um, mental health and mental illness still wasn't really well known. It was, it was very, in its very early stages, um, my childhood, I guess you could say, started in at the beginning of the 80s. Um, I don't really count the first three years as much because you don't remember much. <laughs> you know, like right. most kids don't have much of a memory after that. So I, I have some memories in the beginning of my life where they're traumatic because I was, I had a father when I grew up and I I should say, I have a father when I grew up that is, has, is always been known to be very emotional tempered. Um, He's, he's the kind of person that 
when something gets to him or I, his, he, he's irate or he gets angry or something angers him, he's a, he gets, he goes from zero, zero to a hundred yeah. extremely fast. And as I said in, in my intro, he's a very short, he has a short temper and he gets very angry. And when he's in that stage, it's extremely difficult to stop it. And the only person who really has the ability to stop it is myself. And I grew up having a situation where when I did something wrong, where it was either because I'm a child and I did it on purpose or I was an accident, like breaking something or just again, having a child childhood and being being a child clumsy and yeah, (laughs) being a child, rambunctious and everything. And we would break something. I grew up where instead of a father being understanding and seeing the situation for what it is. Another important thing to know is that the trauma to children resulting in CPTSD, as well as dissociative disorders, is usually deeply interpersonal within that child's caregiving system. Separate from both the traumatic events and the perpetrator, there is often an added component of neglect, hot and cold affections from a primary caregiver, or outright invalidation of the trauma if a child tries to speak up. These disorganized attachments and mixed messages from those who are supposed to provide love, comfort, and safety, all in the periphery of extreme trauma, can create even more unique struggles that PTSD sufferers alone don't always face. Survivors with complex PTSD have a difficult time with emotions, experiencing them, controlling them, and for many, just being able to comprehend or label them accurately. Many have unmanaged or persistent sadness, either explosive or inaccessible anger, and or suicidal thoughts. They may be chronically numb, lack the appropriate effect in certain situations, be unable to triage sudden changes in emotional content, or struggle to level out after a great high or low. It's also common for these survivors to re-experience emotions from trauma intrusively, particularly when triggered. These feelings are often disproportionate to the present situation, but are equal to the intensity of what was required of them at the time of a trauma, also what we know as an emotional flashback. Instead of being able to determine the correct the correct steps involved in you know showing their child uh, understanding and compassion and determining if they need to be disciplined or if they need to just give a like a a quick lesson on you yeah. know this is this wasn't the right thing to do this was too much or however you want to put helping it. them work helping them work I through was, it right I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I hear a lot of stories where where parents, instead of disciplining their child, like like parents used to do back in the day, where it was always like a corporal like punishment yeah. or or guilty until proven innocent, or you're always guilty. It they do it in an opposite way, where they basically they try to avoid any kind of serious discipline unless it's warranted, which in their view, it should be yeah. very rare. But anyway, um, 
he was the kind that no matter what would get enraged and become angry. And I was the kind of child that was, um, I can't think of the word, um, exposed. I'll, I'll just use exposed. I was exposed to corporal punishment. Um, I was the child that got spanked when I was, when I did something wrong, whether it was by accident or, or on purpose. And it wasn't just a couple, uh, like one or two spanks on the on the butt or on the bottom, and that was it. It was aggressive, repeated spankings where it hurt really well, like very much. And it soon developed into a sure. traumatic situation because I developed parts and. Uh, methods of trying to avoid the discipline, whether it was lying, um, manipulating, uh, making stories up, uh, trying to hide the evidence, you know, trying, however, whatever I could think of in the moment to, to avoid being disciplined again. And the, the significant memory that I have that really stood out that I discovered um, not like, I don't know, a year or so after therapy started and doing my work is I had a, I had, um, a day when I was home with the babysitter and I don't even really remember the pre, you know, like stages before it happened. I just remember he came home and I don't know if I was in bed or whatever, but I remember being brought into the living room and he accused me of playing and breaking the cable to the TV, uh, the, the cable connection and the TV wasn't working. And I swore to him that I didn't touch it and I didn't do anything. And because at that time I had developed kind of a habit of lying and well, curiosity as a kid, I got, he got angry extremely fast and wanted was off and I knew what was coming. So I just remember I knew that this was going to happen. And I ran away because I was like swearing adamantly that I didn't do, I did nothing wrong. It wasn't my fault. And he, of course, being, you know, an adult caught me, of course, and I received another spanking and it was very traumatic because I was so adamant that it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. And it was, I felt that it was extremely unfair and unwarranted, but being a child of four years old, you know, you're not exactly going to to win over anybody, especially someone who's got a temper and gets as angry as he does. And what do you do? I mean, you're, you're looking to that person to be the one to kind of guide you through these situations, not make you, not put you in those situations for, you know, something minor or something, you know, you didn't even, didn't even do. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's the beginning of it that, that's the earliest memory that I have. And I've done a lot of searching and a lot of thinking back in time 
that I can. And that was, that's the first memory that I have of, of any sort of traumatic, traumatic event. And yeah. And so throughout the years, it was every time something happened or, you know, like I got in trouble or I broke something or I was being a child and being my, just doing things that children do. There was always that, that understanding and that knowledge that this was, this is another, this is going to happen. And so there was, I eventually grew to the point where I was, it was kind of like extreme anxiety and stress because of always worrying that if I did something wrong, that it was just going to be an explosion, not just a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it developed into it like the it was so severe my my trauma to that that i have an ex- i have this really good example where i'm about 11 or 12 and we had just got a computer and i was the curious type, I wasn't, you know, I, I was, this is when I was starting to, to learn computers and I wanted to get to know yeah. how it works. And, and I accidentally deleted some files that were important to, for the computer to run and it wouldn't start. And I just remember I got so scared and I was so, so frightened because I knew that at some point he's going to get, yeah. going to get enraged that I, I had a feeling I w- it was so intense that I had to lay down because if I didn't, I was going to faint. Oh it was like, it was a really strong, like, I don't even know exactly how to describe it. It just felt like yeah. I was lightheaded and I was sick to my stomach. So I had to lay down in order for her to recover from it. That's how scared I was. That's how nervous and, and how much, the, the trauma was affecting me. And I think I had that happen a couple more times uh, throughout my into, you know, childhood yeah. into my adult life. And it got to a point where I was too big to be disciplined the way that I had been. And so it turned from physical abuse and physical discipline to being verbally threatened mm. Like, I don't mean he threatened to beat me up or said, you know, I'm, I'm going to hit you with a stick or something. He was, it's just that when I would, when I would get into an argument or if I had a disagreement or there's something that I didn't like, the second I raised my voice or got any sort of anger or any kind of disagreement, he would threat, he would yeah. warn me. Like he would give me that, that warning of saying, you know, like, stop, don't you, don't you don't go any further because you, you could see in his face and his, and his tone that if, if I were to continue, well, yeah. Right. And immediately I, I remember going, okay, okay. You know, like I, I would calm, I would stop. I calm down. I would just, it would be done because I knew what was exactly next, what yeah. to expect. Yeah. And it, it never did get that far. Like in all honesty, if even 10 years ago, if anything had happened be, just due to his physical situation and, and me being, you know, 34 yeah. and strong, like much stronger and everything, it obviously never would have, nothing would have happened. And 
but still yeah. there's that. Well, they hold that, that power that. over you. They know that somewhere in your mind, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. Like a sign of respect, right? Like you, you, you know, you know, not to, to disobey, even if it's, if, if it's not reasonable yeah. or if it's unfair, you still have that, that where you know that you have to listen, you can't yeah. go against his wishes. But it was it was so it was such a traumatic thing that it was an automatic. There wasn't there wasn't ever a like a confrontation. I I never like art you know said no. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to stop. It, it, it was always automatically just okay. I stop. I'm I yeah. I know. I I get it. So that's that was basically how I grew up, and it. And what that did is it growing up with a father who has a short temper and, and, and it's just, and it's related and it's all sorts of things. Like it's not just when his children got it, got, you know, did something wrong. He would, he would have his temper arise when any sort of situation would, would come up that he was angry about. Like I, I remember a number of times where, the cable company would there'd be a problem with the cable and he was having issues or there'd be like a bill problem and he didn't understand it and he was charged too much and his was, immediate reaction. Yeah. That was his first angry. reaction. He and, didn't know anything else. Yeah. 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 He'd be on hold and you could tell and he'd be his, his voice and his anger and the words and everything that he's, that's happening in that moment while he's waiting, you could totally tell that he's just off. He's, he's completely gone and he's, and there's nothing you can do. Like, like I, I remember I would like try to like talk him down a little bit saying, you know, okay, this is, you know, that's come on. Like, don't, I, I, I would be, yeah. have to be careful. I, I didn't, I wanted to make sure that I didn't say something that could make it worse or have him put right. it on to me. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah. So it was, I basically walked on eggshells from the, at any point that I lived at home. And the only reason, like I, I lived at home until I was 34 and it wasn't because I couldn't get out. It's just that, well, in a way I couldn't, I, you know, you, you, I didn't have the ability to move out right away just due to money and situation and timing. But I was, I had been itching to get out for a long yeah. time and I want, it's because I wanted, I wanted independence. I wanted to do my thing. I was, you know, I, it was delayed. I, I should have, if I could have, I could have been out much earlier, but it's just, it was that yeah. itch to get out and, and start my own life and do my thing. And I, I wanted the moment I was able to get out there was, it, it took time, but there was that sense of, of starting yeah. over, like, uh, like freedom, right? It's, and so I hadn't, as far as I knew at that point, at, at age, at about 32, I hadn't known, I, I didn't really know that I was, I had trauma that I was dealing with, with, anxiety yeah. or stress or mental any kind of mental illness because as as I've 
learned through my own research and discovery is sometimes it takes a significant event or scenario for, for it to sort to start. And it can be kind of hidden in, in your memory and you don't, and it's, it's almost like it's, it's, it's locked in behind a door and you don't know of it until it one day yeah. that door gets opened. And then it just, it, you can't, it's like, you can't close it. And I think that's something that's important to, to, to so, say too, because I think a, pe- a lot of people like either yeah. don't realize it or forget that that's the case that, and that's not necessarily even like repressing mm-hmm. it. That's just, you know, your, your body in, in your case here, like your mind is, is in defense mode all the time. And so why, why, yeah. you know, add something else to the mix, you know? Exactly. And as far as I knew, like my understanding, my learning today is the reason that a lot that memory didn't came up is because that's, that's individual or separate parts of the of the brain that has its own memories and its own personality. And there's no connection between them. So of course the adult who's, who thinks things are fine and, and lives his life, in a, in a, in a, like, I, w- I don't want to say in a fog because that's wasn't necessarily what I was doing. It's just, there's, there's no. no connection between yeah. your past and like, and, and your present until something occurs that causes it to suddenly yeah. show up. And now that it's there, you it's like your mind is almost telling you that it's ready to, to begin having you process this. Like, it's almost like it knows that like, yeah. okay, this is still not going to be fun for you, but you're you're kind of ready in some way shape or form to start hearing this this story that you kind of locked behind our door we locked behind the door for you to help you keep going in life in a successful manner difficulty with self-perception is another fundamental struggle for complex trauma survivors particularly because their identity development was either fiercely interrupted or manipulated by someone with ulterior motives in its simplest form How they see themselves versus how the rest of the world does can be brutally different. Some may feel they carry or actually embody nothing but shame and shameful acts, that they are, quote, bad. Others believe themselves to be fundamentally helpless. They were let down by so many who could have stopped their abuse but didn't, so it must just be them. Many see themselves as responsible for what happened to them and thus unworthy of kindness or love because, well... They did it to themselves. And countless others may feel defined by stigma, believe they are nothing more than their trauma, worry they're always in the way or a burden, or they may sense they're just completely and utterly different from anyone or anything around them. Basically, they feel like they're an outsider, an alien. And startling as it is, all of these feelings and more can live inside someone who, to you, And I seems like the most brilliant, competent, strong, and compassionate human being you know. Interruptions in consciousness are also a a prevalent and at times extremely scary reality in complex PTSD. Some may even forget traumatic events, even if they knew of them once before. Relive them intrusively, recall traumatic material in a different chronological order, or other distressing experiences of what is called dissociation. Disassociation is a symptom that exists on a spectrum, ranging anywhere from harmless daydreaming or temporarily, quote, spacing out, to more disruptive episodes of feeling disconnected from one's body or mental processes, so not feeling real or losing time, all the way to the most severe, which includes 
switching between self states or alters, as seen in what is known as dissociative identity disorder. Episodes of missing time can range anywhere from a few minutes, a couple days, or even large chunks of one's childhood. As I learned, because of like, and that's the thing is that you don't know these. You don't realize this stuff sure. when you're a child because the child, obviously, the brain doesn't fully develop. They don't. There's a lot of stuff that is like time. Time is different. Our our needs are different. We can only think so far ahead. We only, you know, like you, you can only yeah. plan so far ahead. There's not much in our future, so we don't really. It doesn't. It's not something that really comes up unless the trauma or the abuse is severe. Like my, despite the trauma that I experienced compared to a lot of other people out there, it still wasn't a very severe form of trauma because I was loved. I, I got my needs met. I, I had things that like, you know, I, I was able to play yeah. sports. I was able to go to school. I had, you know, it was still there. So it's not like it was, it, I was a child who, who was neglected and, and raised by narcissist parents or, or never had any, ever needs met you know it wasn't like that so it that's why they were so well hidden and my life to me at that felt point fine, felt yeah. fine yeah and so now sorry to get to my point there sorry is i developed uh adhd and i'm still determining whether or not my ADHD is trauma related or if I actually have like a genetic uh, difference that causes it. Now I'm, there are like exam evidence that in my opinion, it is, is genetic. And there's a lot of evidence that it's very similar to complex trauma. So it's kind of up in the air to the, to a degree here, but I was because of my development and because of, of the way I was raised and my like my hyperactive activity and having a father who is the way he was I was when I went when I started school I was a I was the kind of kid who was always distracted uh had a short attention span uh had a hard time concentrating um, my desires were to, instead of paying attention in school and, and working hard, I had a hard time concentrating and I would often get into trouble. Uh, I didn't know how to play well with others. Um, and I often got bored and got distracted. So I would goof off in school. And and I know there's a lot of kids sure. who do that. So it's not like I'm, I'm a rarity, but I, I did it to an extreme amount. And when I, when it was brought up from my teacher to my parents at inter, at, at conferences, parent yeah. teacher interviews. Yeah. They, they didn't, nobody ever brought up any idea or any thought of, of, of it maybe being just like a, a an ADHD or, or a disability or something that, that could be causing it. They all thought that I just needed more discipline sure. and I needed to try harder. Right. And so 
I remember from an early age growing up thinking that I was a bad kid, that I, that the reason that my schoolmates didn't like me was because I was a bad kid, that I was unruly. And, and I also thought that my teachers implanted that in, you know, in their, like, because they would discipline me and they would get, they would call me out and I get in trouble that the, that the students looked at me like a, like as if I was the the problem, right? They, they, yeah, exactly. So I, I went, I grew up through school trying, I eventually tried to really, I realized that I, that there were issues. So I tried to change and I tried to do better, but because of my, like my development was, it was slower because of my ADHD and I was have and because of my, the way I am, I was, I never became really good at being social. Um, I had, yeah, I had poor social skills when it came to my classmates. Uh, I wasn't very good at, I, I'm even back then and still today, I am, I'm not good at uh, understanding sarcasm. Um, I'm very literal. Uh, I often, was the butt of jokes didn't and understand, I didn't it, yeah. understand things. And yeah. So people looked at me at, at really kind of a weird kid. And so they either made fun of me and they never took me seriously. They never included me in, in any sort of activities. Um, I never went to parties. I didn't have any girlfriends when I was in school. I it was, I was pretty much to yourself yeah, to myself, but yeah. But the other thing, and the interesting part is I recently discovered this through research and some videos is a child who's been grown, who's grown up with an abusive parents or a father or uh, feels that their childhood was unjust. They develop this sense of hyper justice, like where they really think a lot of, a lot of things that are, that are bad or that happen that, that they think are wrong or incorrect or, or childish or whatever, they have this sense of justice where they, they feel like they're determined to, yeah. to judge others and to think other people are bad or, or, or they're above them or they, how, you know, they want, they don't want to participate and do these things. So I was, I was, I always thought of myself in school rather than, being the loser or the loner, I always said that I was an individualist. I, I didn't, I didn't follow anybody. I was never a follower, but I also wasn't the person that, that, that led anybody. I was yeah. just myself. And often when things would, would happen in school that like uh, kids start smoking, kids start doing weird things and, and start, acting in a, in ways that, Test, that testing their limits are teenager. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Teenage like stuff. Right. And, and I would always look at it going, that's just so stupid. I'm, I'm too mature. I'm, I'm more mature than these people because I don't do these things. That's wrong. That's, you know, like I was very, very judgmental and very opinionated. And, it was evident in in my behavior in classes where I there'd be discussions and I would come up and be opinionated and talk about things and and I would have to be right and I was always like 
and I would have to force like, not, I don't know, not force my opinion, but I would always yeah. be very opinionated and I would push my opinion out. And, and often my classmates and even some of my teachers kind of looked at me like, Oh my God, he's going to, he's here. Goes he comes again. to like, speak again. And, right. Yeah. 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 Like he, he thinks he knows everything or he, you know, and so all this behavior, all these multiple different styles of behavior that I presented were turning people away. And I, like, I always thought that I was just being mistreated because people didn't get to, never got to see me as myself. Like I, I was, yeah. Like I was always prejudged. Like I, like, it, it was, it'd be like walking in and the people that know you would go, it, this is how I imagined it. And I know this, this today is, is really crazy and ridiculous, but I always imagined that the people that I knew from grades one to, to, to six would like go over to all the new students and would tell them about me. I mean, <laughs> you know, like fair. I mean, I, I, I can tell yeah, you, I mean, so I, I was a, a middle school teacher for 10 years. My, I mean, my mom has been a teacher and administrator yeah. for more than that. Um, I, I mean, every bit of mm-hmm. this part of the story, I, I can tell you, I can tell you how, how true that was even, you know, when I started teaching and here you are, you know, even earlier than that. And you're missing, you're oh. missing points, you know, along the child's path that, you know, either aren't addressed addressed to the extreme or addressed improperly, you know, that aren't helping them. Like you said, I mean, be, be who you are. I mean, I have no no idea who, what you were like standing up there, but I had many a kids come through my class similar that you could feel other teachers in the room go, Oh, here comes Jason coming to speak again. Like this is going to take forever. And you can see the kids going, this is weird. I'm not like that. And this yeah. kid's, this kid is strange, yeah. but you could see adults doing that, rolling yeah. their eyes. And then there's someone, it takes an, it takes an adult looking at it and going, this is who this kid is. There's not necessarily anything wrong, but where can we, where yeah. can you kind of, you know, mold and push and, and bend and squeeze and go, okay, Hey kids, this is who Jason is. And you know, this, I mean, yeah. this is a great thing for them to do. You, you know, you look at in the adults, like, um, all right, you like, let's make it, uh, you got five minutes, like do the best you can explain exactly what you need in five minutes. So it's like, okay, I can still be me, but I got to sink this down. And it's learning how to develop speaking skills, for instance, in that case. Right. And then I, you know, you're looking at them going, yeah. Hey, and then you pull them aside. You don't do that in front. You pull that person, a kid aside and you say, Hey, you know, I, I love that you've got your opinions. You know, this is not how every kid may may be. So don't be, you know, so you kind of address that. So there's all these points that have to be, and that takes a lot to do. And so, unfortunately, I mean, I don't want to say that your story is similar because it's not. It's got similar points in the sense that, yeah. you know, you have this one extreme version of it where the kid is like, yep, he's got ADHD. Give him this medication. It's like, whoa, hold on. Like in 10 years, in 10 years of teaching, and I mean, not a special school at all, just a Montessori school. So very more focused in life skills versus academics. So kind of paying attention to these things in the first place, but still had people that didn't get that. But right. I had one kid, one kid 
in 10 years, I could absolutely say, yes, he has ADHD. Here's the things that, and that kid had a slew of things from the parents that were responsive to, you know, you know, um, teachers, administrators throughout the years. I mean, he had all sorts of interventions to help guide him along with that one kid and all the other ones that maybe it was just like a quick label or the other end of the extreme is that in your case, right? You were like, Oh no, the kid's just out of control. He just needs to be disciplined. Well, that did, we didn't, we didn't, (laughs) there's a middle ground. Right. Um, so no, I mean, I, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like cut you off there with everything, but I mean, that it resonates truly in the sense that I know exactly how that felt. I've never, I was, I wasn't that kid, but I was the guy looking at that kid going, yeah, you've got a label on you that all your friends are telling, you know, everybody else that watched this kid, he's a, you know, he's a, he's going to pick, take some work. You know, I had teachers that would be like, Hey, you know, Jason, when he comes to your class, I didn't know Jason. I don't even know why I'm using that word. When Jason comes to your class, (laughs) you know, pay attention. He, you know, he did, he says these things, these things. And I'm like, bring on Jason. Jason probably just needs someone to understand him, Yeah, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's okay. Good. Yeah. Well, that, that makes me feel better. Cause you know, you think, you think to yourself that you're, unique, you are, but, you are. I mean, um, and then I don't, I mean, like say that you're not yeah. but like, it's it, like the, 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 un- the, the non-unique part of it is the fact that so many kids have similar struggles and challenges and similar Mm-hmm. reactions like on the part of the parents the administrators the teachers the adults in their life the same reaction is like um you need to be spanked there's that version yo um you need to go to the doctor and we need to prescribe you some medicine to chill out maybe but you also probably need to just understand the kid you know and talk to them and find yeah. out first The larger gaps in time are typically only seen in those with dissociative identity disorder, but those with CPTSD alone can still endure interruptions in consciousness that result in memory gaps, poor recall, traumatic material that is completely inaccessible, or conversely, re-experiencing trauma against their will. So think of flashbacks, intrusive images, body memories, etc. I was kind of in a unique situation as well. Like when I, when I was saying that there were new kids like we i lived in a in a in a town that had a only one catholic high school for two places so there was we had a smaller town that was a couple kilometers just to the to the west of us and us and so there were multiple there were two junior highs but there was only one high school and so our, our class size doubled from about 41, 42 kids to like 84 kids. So there were literally like 40 some kids that were introduced to the class. And so that's, that's kind of like an extra, I'm not saying that every single kid was, was informed. That's a lot of kids, but at some point, yeah, yeah, exactly. At some point they learned of who I am. And I remember, this is this is the most embarrassing thing at, at, to that point that I remember occurring is so there was some under misunderstanding or some kind of paperwork that wasn't right at in the in the office for me for some reason and we were in the beginning of our first class and they called they called me down to the office 
But what happened was, is that they somehow, and I, and I really would like <laughs> to know how they did this, but they got my, my last name wrong on the paperwork. And instead of it being my, like the, my last name, Jermaine, it was, they put Saint wow. at the beginning of it. And I just remember going, that's oh, not my God, name. That's not my name. Yeah. And then I could, and then of course the, the class, I, I think there was quite a few in the class that, sure. that thought it was hilarious. And so they they're, they started, you know, saying it out loud in that, that mocking tone and everything. And I just remember being embarrassed and going, Oh my God, that is terrible. And I went to the office and whatever. And then I told them that's, that's not, not my name. That is not how my name is. Could, yeah. Can you, it's just Jermaine. There's no saint in front of it. And I just felt so embarrassed. And I, and, and, and that stuck for a while because kids at that age, obviously they're going to, you know, no. they don't just let that go. And yeah, so I, along with the way I was being opinionated and, and always had to talk. And I, I was like, it wasn't like I was doing this on purpose. This yeah. is just how I was and how I, what I knew and how to behave. Like I didn't exactly have, I, I didn't have a lot of friends in school. I, I, I think it was very, very few. And I never hung out with them after school. Um, the only the only friends I had were ones that I knew outside of school. And that was pretty much it for me. And so I basically, throughout my entire school life, I didn't really, I didn't like any of them. Um, there were a few that I, from a, from a, from afar, I was like infatuated with like girls, of course, but um, I, I never really tried anything. I never, I never made attempt to really be friends with anyone because I had this preconceived belief that no, none of them really wanted anything to do with me. And so I developed throughout and throughout my school life, I developed this, this belief that, I was, I just yeah. wasn't going to have friends. And even though I did try the odd time, it, it never really worked. And there was a mix of just, of poor social skills. Um, my own, you know, my own behavior that I, that I did. And then the, the school bullies that obviously, you know, everybody saw what would happen because right. it's a small class. It's not like it's a city where you've got, one, 2000 students and you, you maybe know a quarter of them, you know, yeah. we knew everybody, everybody knew everyone. So it, when something occurred, they all found out or they all knew that this is. And this that is has a whole nother level because that, that's something so, you kind of take with you almost like, you know, for the rest of your life that you feel like, yeah. you know, someone that you just met and they were born in like New Zealand you know, and probably never interact with anybody that, you know, they've got to know what happened. They've got to know about your past. They've got to know who you are. So there's never going to like me. That's probably yeah. why they gave me that yeah. look, or that's probably why they answered that way. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And it was, it was pretty, it, it was really unfair, but to some degree it, 
like I'm not saying I was the cause of it. Like I never believed yeah. that I was the cause of it. I didn't exactly help <laughs> it, but it wasn't like I I decided when I went to school, okay, I'm going to act gonna, this way, right. be opinionated, and I'm going to, you know, I I never chose right. to be that way. That was that was something that occurred because of how I was raised. Um, my father instilled beliefs and and thoughts and and his ways of dealing with, with stuff and with, with kids and bullies and, and my mother had her own ideas. So sure. there was two conflicts and there. And, and so I, yeah, it never, I never, I never really had a chance yeah. basically. <laughs> and I just, the, the thing that really made it like that topped it off was in my, in my 12th, in the grade 12, there was this there was this girl that I knew and we were friends and uh, occasionally you know we'd we'd talk at after school and I and I got to know her and we were you know we were just friends and I had kind of developed this crush on her and I I don't know what how it started but I guess some of some of uh, the guys who didn't who did not like me at all got wind of this or realized yeah. that I was hanging out with her and they wanted to play a prank on me. So they, I don't know who it was, but someone wrote a letter pretending to be her. Lovely. And it was, it was, yeah, it was this letter saying, Oh, I, I really liked you, blah, blah, blah. And, and so of course someone who like me, who's going, Oh my God, this, this person that I have a crush on actually is, likes, is, me, really yeah. likes me. And so, yeah, so I got all excited, and I got, and of course, I let my emotions yeah, in. The, of course, right? I didn't. Yeah, you know, you're, you're a kid. You're not going to say, "Hmm, I wonder if if somebody wrote this and if it's really her." It was like, "Wow, this is it, this right?" Is amazing. So I I wrote, yeah, I wrote I wrote back and 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 put all my feelings and everything into it, and and put it into her locker, and then hope for the best. It, it just went completely yeah. downhill from there. And, and then I, then I found out that it wasn't her, that it was the, one of the guys in the, in their little gang or whatever. And, and when I say gang, yeah, I, mean I got like you. a group of friends. I don't mean like a gang gang. This is 84 students, people. Um, and I, and I soon learned that, it, that they did this and, and, it was a big prank and I, Oh my God, I was so embarrassed and I felt so horrible because I'm like, Holy smokes, this, this isn't real. This was just some prank. And now she, she realizes that I've got these so-called feelings and, and I'm, I, yeah, I couldn't believe. And I was so embarrassed and it was, it was horrible. And Again, being in a small class size, everybody knew about it. Like it, it, it's it's like nobody. There was not one single person who had no yeah. idea or didn't know that that something like this had, had occurred. And oh, it was. I think I finally. It was the closest I ever got to finally yeah. saying enough is enough. You know, like it. I never did because I. There was too much fear, and I also realized that, like one versus five or six, is not exactly a fair fight. (laughs) So I kind of 
I had to deal with it. I just had to put up with it. And eventually it, it kind of died and went away, but it never fully was gone. And it, all these things like this is, this is the part that I don't think people who had never experienced childhood trauma or have never, or were the, the popular kid in school or had a lot of friends and grew up having an easy life in school. They don't, they don't really understand what yeah. this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying just this one event, but I'm saying throughout entire school from like 13 years of school, they don't realize what this does to someone when they become an adult and they move yeah. into the real world. Like it's this, lot, this affected right? me. Like I, I was, yeah, I was, I was, I had poor social skills. I, I, I didn't, ex- I didn't experience the things that teenagers tend to experience. I didn't go to party. I didn't like, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm glad I, I, like I'm bad. I, I feel bad that I didn't get a chance to drink or something. Like I'm not saying that it's just, I didn't have Those typical experience, right? experiences that a teenager has before they are an adult. And I, I was, I, I grew up to be skeptical of people. Uh, I had a hard time trusting anybody. Um, I was, I was introverted and I didn't even like, it was funny. I was so content on being by myself and doing things at home that from on my own that it was never, I never really thought about having friends in outside of work. Like I would go to work, I would do my work and that was it. I would, I'd get to know people on a professional level that was, at it, work, right. that was it. I never, yeah, they never invited me out. I never said, Hey, uh, do you want to go for, for a coffee or a drink or hang out after work? That, none of that ever occurred. I never thought about it. It wasn't something that one day I said, hmm, yeah. maybe I'll try. And no, and right? no one really it was like, intervened and was like you know that that isn't like the best of situations that you know he's he's not he doesn't have these like social skills like like you said i mean it doesn't you don't need to have a bunch of friends you don't need but you do need to like understand that like hey like you have a hard time with that nobody appropriately intervened and were like hey we need to make sure that like like he's he's okay and like that that like he's he's at least aware that you know, all these things that, you know, he's, he's trying to make friends, like, and this is maybe why people aren't being your friends. And that at the same time that like, you know, yeah. having socialization skills is something, something important. Nobody, nobody else kind of helped guide and shape you in that direction either. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty much myself and my parents for the odd time, but it was, they, they weren't very great at that either. Like, I, I'm not going to go into it, but they didn't exactly have groups of friends either that yeah. came over or they hung out with it. So I never had a, I never had anything, yeah. anyone to look up to know anything different. Yeah. See for myself. Right. Yeah. And so all this, like I, I didn't even have a relation, like any kind of romantic relationship until I was like 26 and I never drank. Uh, there was no intimacy, intimacy of any sort. Um, my friends that I did have, uh, we we were soon parting, and I I never saw them again, really, because of the fact they were just they were getting into girls, and they were yeah. doing their thing, and 
I did my thing and I, I never fought for it because it was like, I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to, to change. It was like, it was like I was stuck in a, in a pattern and I had no way of getting out. So yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. And because I was, you know, the way I, because of how I grew up and, and because of the, the trauma and everything, which keep in mind, I didn't really understand until later, but like I was, I got into a relationship with a girl who was emotionally abusive and controlling and manipulative. And, and I was, I was yeah. right. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because I wasn't going to stand up. I was, yeah, I wasn't going to stand up for myself. I wasn't going to, I, I never said, okay, this is it. I've had enough. I, I can't do with this anymore. I, it was like, I was like, this is a relationship. I literally, that's how it was supposed to be at one point. This was, yeah. Good. Yeah. And this was good. This was the best that I was going to do. I wasn't going to get any better. I wasn't going to find another person. So I'm going to, I'm going to do what I have to do to make it work or I'm going to stick around. And it was really rough. Like it was, it was, it was the kind of situation that if, if I could go back knowing what I know, you know, I would obviously do a lot of intervening with myself, but you know, that's not, that's, that's just science (laughs) fiction here now. Difficulty with relationships may seem like a natural progression since each area I've mentioned so far can affect how fruitful your relationships are. But these challenges go beyond a lack in quality or richness. This refers more to a survivor's potential to feel completely isolated from peers and not even knowing how to engage, to harboring an outright refusal to trust anyone, or just knowing why they ever should. Trusting people way too easily, including those who are dangerous due to a, a dulled sense of alarm, perpetually searching for a rescuer or to do the rescuing, seeking out friends and partners who are hurtful or abusive because it's the only thing that feels familiar, or even abruptly abandoning relationships that are going well for any number of reasons. One of the many well-observed developmental disruptions those with CPTSD face, one that many find to be the toughest to conquer even with therapy, is that area is what's referred to as one system of meanings, an area that, after being subjected to such tumultuous trauma, can feel almost irreparable. What this criteria is referring to is the struggle to hold on to any kind of sustaining faith or belief that justice will ever be served to indiscretions of ethics and morality. These survivors' outlook on life and the world at large can be unfairly contorted, and understandably so. They may doubt there is any goodness or kindness in the world that isn't selfish-hearted. They may worry they'll never find forgiveness. Others may even believe only they only came to this world to be hurt, so there can be no good coming for them. And it's this level of hopelessness and despair, as well as these greater meanings assigned to their suffering, can fluctuate greatly over time. There may even come several years where things no longer feel so bleak or as though they were conned on a, a meaningful life. But as more layers of trauma are processed in therapy or new memories bubble to the surface, they may wrestle with it once more as new feelings strike a devastating chord inside their chest. This is a common experience for so many survivors and can have lasting ramifications with each plunge. It was 2013 and I started, like, 
I had just ended a, a different relationship and I was, it, it was a slow start at first, but then it, it got really rapid and I was starting to have some mm-hmm. health issues that were very, you know, not, not really well explained. I wasn't getting any answers. Um, it, I, I had had a couple injuries in my past from sports that, that affected my, uh, my neck and my back. And I just remember when I was, like I said, I, I was about 33 and I started having some health issues that were really scary. And like it, it was scary mentally because I had no answers. I was, I was being, I I made a mistake of going online to the online doctors (laughs) and doing searching and researching my own illnesses, which it, which everybody out there says (laughs) don't do that because yeah, there's so many things that could be, that it could be. And, and you're going to read yeah. it and go to go, your, oh my your God, small rash all of a sudden I'm becomes dying, Ebola because right? somebody else, somebody said that that might be the case. And then you're in yeah. your head. Oh, absolutely. I know that one. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I fell hook, line and sinker going, Oh my God, the yeah. symptoms match. I'm, I'm like, and, and, and I just, I don't remember the exact day, but I just remember all of a sudden, in my mind, I'm freaking out and I'm literally just scared so bad that I can't sleep. I'm obsessed about sure. it. I, that's all I think about. I'm like a shell of my former self and I, I'm scared out of my mind. I can't even tell my doctor. I can't tell my parents because I'm so scared. I, I it's like, I'm scared that if I go tell my doctor, he's going to confirm it. And then that's yeah. just, you know, like it was like I was better off not knowing and finding out on my own. So it was, and so what happened was, is that, that triggered everything. So all of a sudden I was, I was anxious all the time. I was scared. I couldn't calm down. It was like, it was like this whole new part of me just suddenly came out and it was front and center. And I didn't know at the time, of course, because it's, all you're, you're doing that, is, yeah. is is you're constantly scared and and you're having flashbacks and you're getting re-triggered every time it would reoccur and it didn't it, it was I didn't realize until very recent that that was the beginning of of the parts coming online and hey. finally going hey you know like and and the first connections like my, my first connections were built then and it was so new and so really scary that it, I, I, it, 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 here's the, the part that's, that's, that's really frustrating. Okay. I knew there was a point that I got through physiotherapy and just time passing and all the different, you know, like you go to a point where, where you start to go, okay, obviously this isn't, right. this isn't what's happening. Because if it had, I would, it would have already been present and obvious. So I, I was, I had in my mind as the adult, the understanding that, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to die. There's something going on, but it's, it's something that I know can get fixed. If I just, if I do the right things, see the doctor, blah, blah, blah. But every time I would experience the symptoms again, like I would, 
as I, I always called it mm-hmm. an, an episode and it would last a couple of weeks, it would re-trigger all those thoughts and that in those feelings that yeah. I'm dying again. And even though the adult the case, right. wasn't actually reality, yeah, I get completely blended and my my parts that were feeling, oh my God, you're gonna die, you're you've got this disease, you're you're done for. It it would literally that's you. all I yeah. could think about. I would be obsessed about it. I'd go to work and that's all I could think about. I would be, I, I literally was like it, my whole day, all I could do was besides managing to work, all I could do was think about it and go, there's something wrong with me. And so I would get up and move around or I would try to exercise just to, to prove to my yeah. parts that I'm okay. Right. Like you're like, you're trying to convince them yeah. that, Hey, there's nothing wrong with me, but they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't believe me nobody it's like they they would go yeah i don't believe you you're you're dying you're done for and it would go away and i'd feel good but then it it would just like every so often it would reoccur and then i'd get re-triggered and it was just and it was and it's so frustrating and i and i know people with mental illnesses and trauma like who experience these flashbacks know what i mean is you 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 know that you're okay it's just that you get this, you get, you have a, a, tra- a trigger and you're experiencing these flashbacks back to these, these events. And despite knowing in your mind as you, as you're, as this adult that you're okay, yeah. you're getting blended and you're, and, and you just sit there and you're going, Oh my God, is this yeah. true? You start to, you start to wonder, you start to think, you start to go, is this really, is there a possibility? Maybe this is, maybe I'm just, maybe it's slow. Maybe it's delayed. Maybe there's actually things that I'm not aware of. Like, it would just be to the point where I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Right. Like I'd, I'd go and hang out with, with my friends or I'd go to my family or whatever. And I, I would be there yeah. in a physical form and I'd, I'd be able to say enough to, to look like I'm alive, but if, if someone to, were to really look at me and study me at that moment, they would have noticed that there was something. I think right. that's why it's like, it's hard to hear when you're dealing with, I mean, anything, you know, health related that might, you know, be troubling you, but especially when it comes to things mentally, when someone's like, you know, here's, here's six things to do to fix your anxiety, or here's this thing to do in order yeah. to, to stop this from happening. And that's just not, not the reality. That's not the case because mm-hmm. you, know, you can't, it's not necessarily going to go away and that's not a bad thing. You just don't know what's a going to trigger it altogether, yeah. but you have no idea what the rest of your life encompasses yeah. that there might be something that you've never had happen in, you know, the 30, 40 years you've existed. That's going to cause you to, yeah. to relapse for lack of a better word. So you know, yeah. it's like, you know, we, we assume that mental illness and, and the struggles with it, the solution is linear and it's not, it, you know, there's, there's things yeah. you can do to manage no. it and to, to kind of equip yourself with, because like you said, I mean, yeah, all of a sudden you, you know, you think you're okay, but you know, that, 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 that mind of ours is powerful and it's going to go, Hey, um, by the way, yeah. I've never experienced this. So my initial reaction and thought here is to go, Hey, freak out. And, and so you have to be ready that, yeah, okay, exactly. we've never experienced, but here's the things that work before. Let me try those things. They may not work. I mean, have to have new tools, yeah. but that's why I hate when people are like, here, yeah. we can cure your anxiety or we can fix. No, 
no, you really can't fix the trauma and you can't no. fix what happened. You can help someone better manage it and better equip themselves that they're ready for the fight this time versus before, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if it, at some point yeah. this was going to happen, like it, 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 I, I knew that I, I, I can't say I knew that I was going to suddenly start feeling like triggers all the time, but up until that point, up till 2013, I didn't know yeah. what anxiety was. Like I had no idea. I I'd never had experienced it. it. My life was good. Like I I was I was relatively happy. I was content. I enjoyed what I was doing. You know, I I didn't feel like my life was a wreck or that I was having issues. And then ever since that point, I've like anxiety. It's I I've experienced a lot of skepticism and a lot of like trauma related things. And, and it wasn't like, I never, I, tr I never truly understood. Like, it, sure. you know, you don't know because I, I never saw a, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist up until just recently. Um, I was, I knew there was something wrong, but I was too scared to really do anything about it. Um, the, the, now, at that point, I finally, I think it was a few years later, I finally started to think, hmm, I wonder if I have ADHD because I'm having issues remembering stuff. And like, I, I, I get, I get distracted and, I, and I'm having a problem remembering to do things and I'm often forgetting to, to, to follow all these, up. Yeah. You know, all the symptoms that ADHD tends to push. And then on top of it, I'm, I get into situations uh, like conflicts or, or, or situations that could be potentially bad or, or negative. And I would be like cowering away or avoiding it and, and never really understanding why that was. And it, it wasn't until 2019 when I started and, and it was thanks to my girlfriend that I started to understand and learn that I have, that it's, there's a good chance that I have complex trauma and it's, I didn't, I had never yeah. heard of it up till then. Like I had no idea that it even was a thing. Like I heard, I heard of PTSD mm -hmm. obviously, but I didn't, I didn't know about complex. And after learning about it from her and then going to a therapist, it was, it became over time very evident that this was what it was. And the, it was, I soon learned that it was not going to be an easy thing to take care of. It was going to be a very difficult and very lengthy, yeah. like time to get any kind of healing going on and make some progress because I, I've never been when it comes to improvement, I've <laughs> never been a patient person. Um, I have, you know, like I always would like, I want, this, right. <laughs> I want this right away. I can't wait. Yeah. Like I want it. I want it now because I, I, and that's just because of my development, right? Like I'm, and as it, as it turns out that on its own is its own traumatic thing. Like I, I'm, I have parts that are relating to time. Like I, I hate, I hate time going fast. So I, I think that if, if it takes a long time, I'm, I'm yeah. losing time in my life. So I want it now. I don't want to wait two months or a year or however long. And so there was always that, that thought and that feeling involved. So it was really complicated. Like I don't have time to go through 
all the stuff that would make sense, but, or to, you know, to explain it, it's just that I was, as I learned and I was getting more and more in educated about, about complex trauma and learning about my ADHD on top of it. And, and it's like, I learned about yeah. things all like over time. Like it wasn't like I just suddenly one day with my therapist, everything was there. Like it was like, oh my God, I'm my, my dad, my, my, my school bullying, this, 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 this. It's like a it, process. It, yeah. was, it was progressive. So I, yeah. So I learned about this. I learned about my dad. I, I started to understand that this was, this is why I had a childhood the way I had. And then also why I was bullied and why I never got along with anybody. Why my teachers thought this, why I was disruptive. Like, it, it started yeah. to fit into place and that, but the thing is, is because of the trauma, I was, it was affecting Absolutely. my personal life. I was having, I was having struggles in my relationship. Um, and I was having struggles with like, not, not as, not nowhere near like as, as severe as it is in my relationship, but in, in work, I was having some minor problems. Um, I was like, I, I didn't, it, and it never really got into the point until I finally moved in to what we moved in together when it really started yeah. to become very apparent. Like it was so, it, it was like all of a sudden now it's like, imagine standing in front <laughs> of a, a hundred, a uh, hundred inch TV and you've got your entire life kind of like, playing yeah. in front of you and you've got, yeah. And, and you can't, you don't necessarily have the remote, so you can't turn that off. Yeah. You can't change the channel. It's all there and you're learning about it and you can only yeah. take in so much at a time. And, and like, I'm struggling to, to deal with it and I'm, I'm having difficulties like learning and figuring it out and making progress. And, and I'm, and all these different symptoms and all these different traumatic events and parts are coming out and they're, and they're causing me to, not do this or to do that and to make this, you know, like I'm, it's, it's like a giant, it's one gigantic <laughs> mess and it takes forever to, it feels like it takes forever to get one of that, of those multiple pieces and organize it and yeah. make it and make sense of it and put it aside and then get to the next one. So if there's, started. if there was one thing it's, that you wanted people yeah. to kind of remember and think of that, either are going through something similar or know somebody that's going through something similar. What's the one, one ball of wax that you'd like them to kind of hold on to? Oh, um, that's an interesting <laughs> thing to ask someone who's got ADHD too. Uh, <laughs> because I can yeah. come up with 20 different well, remove, remove all the ones that, okay people have heard before, you know, it's yeah. okay to not be okay. You're not alone. Remove all of those choices. What, yeah. what would be your, your cliche combined with your personal experience choice out of all those things that you're floating through your head? Right. Um, I would say learn to trust people. It's hard. I get it because it's not an, yeah. it's not natural for you for someone who has CPTSD it is difficult to trust people um, but trusting people makes a big difference 
because once you start trusting someone or Mm -hmm. a few people, it allows you to be able to be open to change. Because if you don't trust anybody, how are you ever going to learn? Like you, you can't like you're, I'm not saying you won't learn because we learn on our own, but if we're by ourselves and we're doing all the work and there's nobody else out there that, that we feel can help us, it takes a, a it takes a lot longer to make any kind of progress because we're only believing what we hear and what we're reading and what we see. And if, if we can trust a person explicitly and they, they say to us, you know, you're okay. You're going to get through this. You will get better. I, I understand you and I'm here for you and I care about you. If, if, if you trust that person, you're going to believe what they say. You're going to, you're going to understand and you're going to see that, you know what? They're not just saying this to, to get rid of you, or they're not just saying these things because they want to take advantage of you or they're manipulating you. They actually, they, they, they think you can get better. They, they care about you. They, they believe in you. And it, it does help because it makes you feel cared about. It makes you feel like you are someone that, that you're not by yourself. You're not alone. You're not, you're not the only person who has to struggle with this. And yeah, if, Learn to trust. Be be open to trusting people. And I'm not saying go and trust every single person. Find but somebody I'm saying you can. If you find someone, yeah, if there if you do find somebody out there who who you believe is legitimately wanting to help you and be there for you, yeah, learn to trust them. And it will you will notice it's the difference is amazing. Like it, it's, it's such a nice, it's such an amazing, great feeling to trust, to have somebody that you trust because it's, it can make a difference. It can make a difference between feeling okay and feeling much better. And, and the amount of time that it takes for you to, to, to get, to make progress, it, it's so much faster and so much easier. As those who are there to support and guide someone who struggles with CPTSD, we want to be here to help bring pause to those deep swings into the darkness, doing what we can to keep survivors in the light a little bit longer, or better yet, support them in adding some of that light inside themselves. That way, even if they need to hide in the darkness for a bit, the light never leaves them for good. We're still here.
Special thanks to Russ for taking the time to delve deep into his past and his traumas in order to bring hope not only to those of you listening out there right now who might be struggling as well, but to himself. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with music by Chad Lawson. The stories, though, well, they're entirely yours, the listener. And if you've got a story that you want to share, you can do so by heading to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. Most of all, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into this brand new show, What's Your Story, and helping me shed some much-needed light on mental illness. If there's something that resonated with you in today's episode, and I really hope there is, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter or by leaving the show a review. Lastly, take a moment to sign up for the newsletter over on the website, FragileMoments.org, where you'll get free mental health advice directly to your inbox. Take care of yourself out there, and be sure to check in with your friends and family. And I do mean all of them. Namaste.